Hello everyone, welcome back to Functional Spirituality. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to share today about really one of the greatest gifts so far that I've received from having baby Jasmine. So before having Jasmine, I I didn't realize that there are two kind of significant parenting styles and that I guess there's a bit of rivalry between them. They're, you know, they're paradigms in and of themselves, their philosophies, their belief systems, so people can be quite attached to them. And I mean, to me, if people are attached to their philosophies, you know, you see sometimes people really attached to their belief systems and they can be very defensive. To me, I always sense a kind of fear in there that there's something that needs to be defended because there's some kind of uncertainty or doubt actually. And that doubt is uncomfortable and, and unconscious. Um, but it's there, you know, creating a sense of fear so that people need to defend them and feel like they've been attacked because there's some kind of doubt there. Like if we feel really confident in what we're doing, we don't need to convince anyone. We feel clear, confident, and we kind of, we're not stuck in the weeds. We can see objectively that why other people might feel confident in their own uh, or have their own kind of approaches. So yeah, there's these parenting styles. And before giving birth, you know, people would always like ask me about my philosophies and my parenting styles and what I thought and what all there was so much of this hesitancy and so much of this fragility where people would you know say oh but you know you can do whatever you want and you don't have to tell me and you know don't listen to what anyone says and that kind of thing and I was like oh why are people what is why is this topic so sensitive you know and I was kind of just a blank canvas and like really open to hearing what people's opinions were and what people's philosophies were because I didn't really know. And then, you know, after having Jasmine, it all kind of got real. Um, I had, I actually had something there that needed to be parented. So parenting approaches and styles, you know, became a little bit more real for me. And over the past few months, it's um, six months now, almost six months of Jasmine's life. And I've realized actually there are these two parenting styles. There's these two paradigms. One of them is more like a training paradigm. The other one is more of an attachment paradigm, I guess is how I would call it. So the first one says that you need to train your baby. They're relying on you to train them. If you don't train them, they're not going to fit into the environment. They're going to struggle. They're going to be weak. They're going to not have the flexibility and adaptability and, and to be able to fit into the culture and the parental structures, I guess, the the parental, what the parents need and what the family need is, is shaped, is a reflection of the culture. So you need to train them to fit into the culture and then they're going to thrive and they're going to be optimized for the kind of context that they live in and for that environment that they live in. And if you don't train them, you're going to struggle. They're not going to sleep well. They're not going to feed well. So they need to be trained. And then there's this apparently opposite paradigm, this attachment style paradigm that says be aware of training. It's one of their principles, beware of baby trainers. And it's a kind of zero training paradigm where the child's upbringing and parenting style is child-led. So you're not training them to fit into anything. In fact, you're actually making sure that the environment fits with them and you know, trying to control the environment as much as possible so it 
supports and fits in with what the child is going through. The child is developing at its own rate perfectly and that the environment actually needs to continuously configure around the child so that however the child is developing in its own unique way will be fully supported by the environment. Uh, so that's opposite to the environment is actually static and make sure that the child is trained to fit into the environment. So yeah, within the first few weeks of Jasmine's life, I actually realized, oh, I mean, I felt a, a pressure that I needed to choose quickly, which paradigm, which am I going to use because Jasmine needed to be parented. So I needed an approach. I needed something consistent. I needed a philosophy. I needed something that made sense to me and I needed to start to take an approach. And I felt a lot of pressure. And especially because that first paradigm, that training style paradigm was telling me that I'm already behind. You know, every day that you're not training them is a day wasted and you're not, you need to be conditioning their nervous system so that they can fit optimally into their environment. So I felt a lot of pressure at the beginning to, first of all, understand and, you know, fully understand and to fully understand something you have to experience it. So understand and start to practice one of these parenting styles. And in these first few weeks of, you know, having a newborn, I was overwhelmed with this new project. I love projects. I love challenge. And actually this project <laughs> of child rearing and, you know, parenting Jasmine is just amazing. This is episode is going to share why it, it has been so amazing. And I wanted to, I took that project seriously and I just felt like I was so behind. I had no idea what I was doing and, and, you know, what I'd gotten myself into. And on top of everything else that I was going through after just coming out of a surgery and, you know, having, engaging with my partner pretty much for the first time in so many years where we like home together and in this new relationship and there's just so much going on I felt really overwhelmed and you know as I look back I've got I can see it all clearly but at the time I could I really felt that neither seemed fundamentally right I felt that I felt lost I didn't feel supported by either of those paradigms I felt like they were both quite extreme and indeed in their extreme cases they both deteriorate you know if you are a fundamentalist and take the fundamental principles of them too seriously or to their extreme and absolutely follow them they deteriorate and they're no longer good guidance but if you don't, then you consider the philosophies and you incorporate them into what is organic and functional and relevant and meaningful for you, then both of those philosophies are really good guidance. So, for example, why they're both, you know, inappropriate in their extreme cases. If you take this zero training model, there's flaws in that because it's our responsibility to grow our kids up in a way that they are flexible and adaptable in the different environments that they're going to face. It's our responsibility, like children and humans grow up in different environments and it's the responsibility of their parents to educate them about these environments and to train them and to condition their nervous system, you know, is this most extreme way of thinking about it, but that's what education is. It's a conditioning of the nervous system. So we need to train our children. We can't take the zero training approach and we can't take this only training approach because that will deny the biological preferences of that nervous system so that they can fit into our culture. And we see huge problems with that as well, because every time we deny the biological preferences of a nervous system, that nervous system experiences stress, and we don't want that nervous system only and extremely experiencing stress just so that it can fit into a culture, because that has these huge detrimental effects to in our developmental period, which is actually 
what developmental trauma is. It means that we are experiencing stress in that developmental period, and that could be because of some kind of abuse and, you know, huge things, environmental factors, disasters, and things like that. Or it can also just be because we're being trained to fit into a culture too much and our biological preferences are being denied too much and continuously to a degree that stress is just having a detrimental effect on us. So yeah, both of these parenting styles, in their extreme cases, you know, if they're taken as dogma and they're not adaptable and they're not made to be relevant to the situation and they're just assumed to be, oh, well, that's true, that makes sense and I'm going to adopt it 100%, they're going to have detrimental effects because dogma has, has those implications. So anyways, I was very happy when a good friend of mine, Edwina, told me about a philosophy that considers themselves to be the third way and it's called aware parenting. Maybe you've heard about this. And even this one I don't subscribe to a hundred percent and but it's great to have just one more set of philosophy, just another input, another set of because you know both those parenting styles have so much science behind each of them. Why that style is the absolute best and so much science and studies behind each of them which say that the other style is super bad. So it was great to have another set of science and philosophy to incorporate into my own philosophies, something that goes into my processing machine of my brain and my mind and my system so that in the moment I can act in a way, I can be flexible and adaptable and and treat each situation that's in front of me uniquely, but with this kind of library of information behind me. So aware parenting was such a gift. So this philosophy, it's about crying, essentially. And it says that children and babies cry for two different reasons. And this is the big game changer of this philosophy. It says that children, babies cry when they need to get their needs met. So sometimes they cry to signal to the adults and to the environment around them that they have an unmet need and that they need attention and that cry is meant to provide like a little bit of stress for the people around them so that we, you know, turn towards them and attend to them. And it says that there's another reason that babies cry and it's for emotional release. So this was a huge uh, relief for me because in the first weeks, there was a lot of unexplained crying and I wasn't prepared for that. And like most people, my belief was that crying signaled unmet needs. The function of crying in the baby was to signal to me that something was wrong and also that I needed to do something. So crying was activating me to respond to something that was wrong. And of course, that's true. But what about all of this unexplained crying where she was fed, she was warm, she was being cuddled. You know, what was all of that? And in the other two parenting styles opposed to aware parenting, those parenting styles explain the unexplained crying with things like wind or pain or teething or different sleep regressions. So in aware parenting, the unexplained crying is not explained with those wind, pain, teething regression reasons. The unexplained crying is very clearly spoken about and really highlighted. The whole philosophy is about this unexplained crying, which is actually, according to aware parenting, emotional release. So in aware parenting, the idea is that crying 
is of course to signal unmet needs, but when all of those needs are met and they're still crying, crying is a stress release mechanism that babies have, that all humans, adults have as well. We have a good cry, we feel better, we release some stress. So crying is a stress release mechanism that the babies are using to get rid of stress and they need that and they cry a lot because they are so easily overwhelmed because their capacity is so low because and capacity is both the, the amount of content that the nervous system is able to process as well as the frameworks of understanding about the content as well so they don't have any frameworks and they don't have much capacity for content everything is so new they're developing they're very easily overwhelmed their capacity is very low so they cry to release the stress of the overwhelming stimulus being so overstimulated as a baby. And, you know, that continues on into their, not just a newborn, but as a baby and into their childhood, they have that because they're learning so much. They're exposed to so much new things and they need to develop so many things. And there's a lot of stress involved with that. And that stress isn't bad stress, but there's stress, there's tension and activation and frustration and a lot of motivation and energy rising up inside of them to help them to, you know, learn all of these new skills. So crying in aware parenting is a process that is really understood in this different way and is highly respected. And the aware parenting philosophy is centered around a technique or an approach called crying in loving arms. And this is a practice where we allow babies to express and release that buildup of feelings, they call them, and which was a huge shift for me. So, so for an example, when a baby is crying, you don't rock them. You know, they're always like, you don't rock them and jiggle them. So you're not trying to soothe that crying when they're trying to release those tears. You just hold them, give them a hug, maybe whisper some nice things, but basically hold a loving space for them to cry and to rage and to release that buildup of feelings. So this is so different and this is such a significant shift, right? Because otherwise, if a baby's crying, we might think, I will do anything to stop this baby from crying because the crying is creating stress in the baby. So it's good to put a booby in their mouth put a dummy in their mouth, distract them, take them outside, maybe try to make them laugh, try to distract them, put them in the car and try to put them to sleep by jiggling them in the car. So that is a very different thing from reduce the amount of crying at all costs it is a very different approach to, okay, crying is coming, fully embrace it. Don't stop the crying in any way, let the baby cry. Check again, is the nappy, you know, are they, do they need food? Are they, is, are they in pain in any way? And if they're not, and they're still crying, let them cry and hold them lovingly. So this was a huge shift for me and super empowering. These new beliefs were super empowering because my old beliefs were that if Jasmine is crying, I should feel stressed and that stress is going to activate me to respond and help her. But this new belief system was that if Jasmine's crying and if all of her needs are being met, then her crying is an amazing healing response and all I have to do is hold space for her. So I went from being really stressed because of all of the unexplained crying to feeling super empowered that I, I have what she needs. I can hold a loving space for her. Yes, I put 
earplugs in because she's screaming. She's crying and raging. So I put earplugs in so that it takes the edge off for my nervous system, but also for my ears and my hearing, and I can hold that space even more. So this really changed my whole experience. And sometimes it's hard. I have to like read the book again and remember, oh yeah, it's a full retraining of how to relate to emotions. Crying was never okay when I was a child. I was either, you know, ignored or told not to do it or a signal of being punished in some way because crying wasn't a good thing. Crying was this unreasonable protest that I was doing instead of seen as like me releasing emotions and being held in that. So it can be hard. It's a retraining of how to relate to emotions. But this has been so beautiful for me, taking my teachings and my healing journey to a whole new level and giving me a whole nother angle of experience. And to be okay with her crying and raging it's truly possible for me because I believe it's the best thing. And if I didn't understand, if I didn't have the science and the philosophy, because there's a whole science behind this approach as well, about the the cortisol release from crying and cortisol releasing in the tears and how the nervous system is designed to release stress through crying and all of that things. If I didn't understand that, it wouldn't be possible for me to truly hold a loving, relaxed space for Jasmine because I, you know, part of me would be resisting it. But to have this opportunity to hold space for a human being crying and raging, and then to have her complete that process and to either emerge from that process of crying, smiling, or, you know, fall into a deep sleep is so satisfying. And especially because it explains a a part of the parenting journey that was starting to get really distressing for me. Something went from being really distressing to being very empowering. And I don't take it 100%. Sometimes she'll be crying and raging and I'll feel intuitively like that's enough. And I'll take more of that attachment style approach where it's time to change the environment to soothe her. And sometimes she's crying and raging and it's, I feel like actually... She needs a little bit of space. There are times, not when she's fully raging, but when she's crying, especially before sleep. So she'll have a little scream <laughs> and a cry before sleep very often. And I fully believe, and my, my kind of philosophy is that she's having a little release before bed. She It's so clear she's not in distress. She's just kind of like making screaming sounds, not screaming really, but like crying sounds and sounding out with her eyes closed before going to bed. And if I'm there or not, it's the same thing, same amount of time, she'll just fall asleep. And sometimes she'll be, she'll need to actually rage before bed and I will hold a space for that. And each time I, I just manage it intuitively, I feel really well informed with all the different approaches because I really looked into each one. I didn't just automatically subscribe to the attachment style. I didn't automatically subscribe to the training style. I've done courses and all of them and really looked at the science behind all of them. And I feel comfortable to just navigate it as it comes. But I wanted to share about this today because it's such a beneficial paradigm. The idea of holding space for people when they have emotion and to respect. And like there's so many times where my heart has just been filled with joy and love while she's crying. Just because I'm holding this space of my heart being open, my heart just wanting the best for her, wanting her to be supported in any way, being really present to be attuned to what she's going through and having that empathy and 
If something was to change, I'd be there, available for that. If she suddenly needed to be soothed and have the crying stop, I'd be there. So being really present and just to be with someone and they're being vulnerable and they're in their emotions, um, in this case, Jasmine, and for nothing to be wrong and to just get to share in that experience has been some of the most beautiful, beautiful, heartwarming, heart opening experiences. And I already had done a lot of training about being with people in pain and being with people in different different expressions of their emotions and just holding that space without needing to fix them or change them and respecting their situations. So I had done that work already, but I don't believe you need to, to, to practice this approach. So I think if you're interested in this, look into aware parenting. You'll see it's a little bit culty. They're quite extremist in their own way in this particular approach, in this third way approach. But I think there's so much good science, so much good philosophy, so many great teachers in this approach that, you know, just exposing yourself to developing that knowledge base of the theory and the approaches of these different styles is so helpful for both a parenting journey that you might be on, but any other relational journey. For me, it's been a key piece, a a different piece of the puzzle of how to relate in incredible ways with people, how to accept people and the different experiences that they're having and how to be more present, how to have the heart open regardless of the experience. Because I think if you can be present and hold space for someone that is screaming and raging, it's easier to hold space for some of the the less intense versions of um, emotions. So yeah, I'm curious, have you tried this approach? Have you heard of it? For a lot of people, it's kind of intuitive that crying is a release, but actually putting it into practice, holding space, even I notice us with Jared and I, after a few months of things going really well, we've started to kind of put her to bed again, like, you know, manipulate her to put her into bed instead of letting her have a little cry before bed. If she starts to cry, we'll, we'll do one of our techniques to stop her from crying. So yeah, it's it can kind of sneak in this way of not allowing that emotion to come out, especially if you can change it. more. Like at the beginning, it was really hard to change the crying, but now we've got a couple of techniques and she's easier to settle. So why not just settle her and put her to bed instead of having her have a little release and go to bed? And I, I, I'm taking both of those approaches, sometimes some settling, sometimes some releasing. I don't believe that one way is always the best way. And I kind of do it intuitively based on all of the other pieces of information that I'm privy to as we go through the day together. So yeah, curious what you think about it and let us know if you have any questions or comments and look forward to chatting more about this as as we see how the process develops and Jasmine gets older and if this changes. So I'll definitely be reporting back. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you all very soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Functional Spirituality Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe by pressing the plus button on iTunes or the following button on Spotify. This is going to ensure that this resource is available and top of mind when you most need it. So please subscribe now.